Good morning, everybody. I want to I tell you guys about one of the worst moments of my life. And this story kind of has to start in 1854. In 1854, there was a group of people in Minnesota that decided to make a college and call it Hamlin, but put an E at the end of the spelling. And so about 12 hours ago, I stood before you and said Hamline. And the worst part about preaching is that sometimes you feel like you put your heart out there and then 10 to 12 people come up to you after the sermon and tell you it's Hamlin. And you're like getting ready for a compliment of the sermon and every person, do you know it's Hamlin? So... In deep repentance, I come to all the Hamlin people and say, I'm sorry, I called it Hamline, but, you know, praise God. Let's do the classic retreat thing. If this is your first retreat, you need to know this is just how it goes. Put, everybody put your hand in the air. Now, keep your hand up if you are awake past midnight. Man, I can't hardly see anybody. All right. Now, keep your hand up if you are awake past one. Some hands going down. Keep your hand up if you are still awake past 2 a.m., no, come on, guys. Put, that's a lot of people. Put your hand, keep your hand up if you are still awake past 3 a.m. Stop. What? Oh, no. <laughs> keep your hand in the air if you are awake past 4. Stop. Keep your hand in the air if you are awake past 5 a.m. Yo, th- uh, what? 6? Six? Did you sleep? What? Yeah, you could tell though, because praise last night, every person was up here. There's a whole section of like 60 of you that did not move a step during praise, because I could, so I could tell. I could tell you guys are tired. Hey, I'm excited to be here this morning. I know you guys are tired, so I'm, but I'm grateful that we get to get into God's Word. If you want to open up your Bibles or your phones to Matthew chapter 26. Matthew 26 is where we're going to be. I'll give you guys a second to flip there. We're going to be in verse 6. All right, Matthew 26, verse 6. It says, Now when Jesus was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper... A woman came up to him with an alabaster flask of very expensive ointment, and she poured it on his head as he reclined at table. And when the disciples saw it, they were indignant, saying, why this waste? For this could have been sold for a large sum and given to the poor. But Jesus, aware of this, said to them, why do you trouble the woman? For she has done a beautiful thing to me. For you always have the poor with you, but you will not always have me. In pouring this ointment on my body, she has prepared, she has done it to me to prepare me for burial. Truly, I say to you, wherever this gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. This is the word of God. I want to draw your attention to start the sermon to the last verse of our text. Truly I say to you, wherever this gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. 
Charles Spurgeon says that that sentence links these, this act of the woman and the gospel in a co-eternal fashion, meaning for as long as the gospel is proclaimed, so too will the memory of this woman be told. And if the memory of this woman ever stops being told, so too will the gospel cease to be proclaimed. That's, that's called being remembered. That's called somebody who left a legacy. And the question that I want to ask, and it's the question the disciples didn't understand that this woman did, is I want to ask the question this morning, how can I be remembered? Because apparently, whatever this woman does is so significant, so important, that Jesus, is, that Jesus promises that as long as the gospel is proclaimed, so too will her story of radical faith be told with it. And I believe there's components in this that instruct us on exactly how you and I can live in a way where we, where we will be remembered. I love being in college ministry in Lincoln. And one of my favorite things is talking to college students about what they want to do. Because like everybody wants to make a difference and wants to help people. And the reason is because we have something deep in us, something like so internal in us that we long for a funeral that is packed to the walls with people we didn't even realize we made an impact on that say, they changed my life. Nobody wants a funeral that's empty. We want to leave a legacy of people that we didn't even know we had an impact on that are coming and saying, they died too soon. I wish they could have had more impact, not they just died. And what I want to look at this morning is how can you and I live a life that will be remembered? Here's the three things we're going to see in our text, and I'm going to just kind of give you the layout for the whole morning. The three things are we need to trash the calculations, we need to treasure the Christ, and we need to trust the cross. Trash the calculations, treasure the Christ, trust the cross. Trust the cross. And what I'm just like going to, I'm going to put it out there for you guys. This is exactly what I'm doing this morning. The things that I'm asking you to do, like the things that I'm going to like urge you to do is live a life that looks so stupid to the world that they're going to constantly ask you why you're making mistakes. And that is impossible to do unless you treasure Jesus. And you're going to hear about treasuring Jesus, and you're going to wonder, how am I supposed to treasure this man in a way where I live so radically that people ask me why I'm wasting my life? And the only way you're going to do that is if you trust the cross. So the whole thing is going to end in the way that we treasure the Christ is by trusting the cross. The way that we trash the calculation, calculations is by doing the other two things. So that's what we're going to look at this morning. I want to start with trash the calculations. What does this woman do? It says in our text that she came up to him with an alabaster flask of very expensive ointment and poured it on his head as he reclined at table. What's the, net, what's the first thing that happens? They're in a room, disciples, this woman, she takes her flask, breaks it open, ointment or perfume comes rushing out all over Jesus. It's not a contextually weird thing. People would often anoint guests in their context, in their culture, with oil. But what was unusual was this much ointment of this high of quality, breaks it open, it goes all over Jesus, and what's the first thing that you hear? The question, why this waste? For this could have been sold for a large sum. See how Matthew's trying to point out here? For a large sum and given to the poor. It's believed that this alabaster flask of ointment or perfume was worth a year's wages. In America, an annual salary, the average is about $72,000. 
Some of y'all are like, dang. $72,000. I want you to imagine that this woman goes into the back room, comes out, grabs her, her flask of $72,000 of perfume, and without thinking, breaks it over the head of Jesus. Here's the problem. You and I are probably going to end up asking the same questions as the disciples. I still wrestle with it. If you look with me, so Matthew, the chapter before, 25, at the very end of it, Jesus is teaching his disciples, and I want you to look in verse 42. Look in verse 42 of chapter 25. Jesus is teaching his disciples, and Matthew makes it very clear to put these right next to each other. He says, for I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you did not welcome me. Naked, you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. He's talking about this like end time that's coming. And then they say, they look at him, and they say, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or, or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? And he answered them, saying, truly I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. What Jesus literally just got done telling them is how you treat the poor is exactly how you treat me. And then he links it to eternal life. So in the disciples' mind, the way that Matthew tells the story, they're actually asking the question. They're like, woman, we could have sold that and done what he just told us to do, to take care of the poor. It makes a lot of sense. Think about it, guys. If you had $72,000 and you could sell, and you could figure out how to get five bucks a plate, then we're talking 14,000 plates. We're talking feeding 500 homeless and hungry people for a month. Is that not exactly what Jesus just told us to do to feed the poor? Not to mention, when you dump out perfume and ointment, it dries. It's done in hours. It's just gone. Why the waste? There's always calculations. Always. But maybe what this woman teaches us is that sometimes worship looks like waste. Sometimes maybe a faith to be remembered is one that trashes the calculations. Maybe it's a faith that, see, that feels what the heart says it needs to do and doesn't wait for the head to come in and cancel all and give all the reasons why it shouldn't be done. Probably the most prolific preacher in the 20th century, his name was Martin Lloyd-Jones. And before he was a preacher that was changing the country with his preaching, he was a doctor. And not just any doctor, he was a doctor to the royal family, which means he was the most influential medical professional probably at the time in the world. And he tells the story of when he first decided that he was going into ministry, everybody came to him and said, I get it, if you are a lawyer, great, go into the ministry. But you're a doctor, you save people's lives, you make great money, you have power and influence, why would you leave to become a preacher? And he said, because I can no longer repair men and women to go back to their sin and die and go to hell. My call is to preach the gospel so that even those who are physically sick might have eternal life. He had all the reason in the world to listen to the calculations and say, yeah, you're right. I make a lot of money. I make a lot of influence. I can still be a light where I'm at, but God needs me to do, he wants me to do this. Jim Elliott was a missionary who went to a, an unreached people group called the Aqua People, and 
his wife, Elizabeth, wrote this book called Through Gates of Splendor. And in it, she explains where Jim, why, like Jim's story of going to this people group. And in the story, she talks about how Jim and all, all of Jim's parents were telling him, you can make such an impact here in the States. You, there's so many people that need Jesus. And his, his like words, his words to his, his like parents and close friends that are giving him all the good calculations that are true. There are people in the States that need Jesus. He wrote and he said, the condemnation of those in America will be written in their checkbooks and on the dust in their Bibles. In other words, he said, look at the calculations. I see them, but I've got to take them and drag them and drop them in the trash because God wants me to do this. A woman in our church graduated, catch this, graduated. Somebody handed her, her parents handed her $20,000 as a graduation present. What? And she turned around and gave it to the church the next day. Do you know, I know, just think for like two seconds, what would you do with 20 grand? Think about all the things that you could do with $20,000, Jesus said, but God, to be faithful, Jesus, you're worth it, I'm trashing the calculations. i got to do what he's asked me to do. What is it for you? What are the calculations that go through your head when you look at that person that you know you need to tell about Jesus? Not just invite to church, but talk to them about Jesus. What are the calculations that go through their head? Oh my God, how are they going to think about me? How is this going to affect the relationship? What's going to end up happening? Trash them. What if God's calling you for the first time to radical generosity, to give amounts of money that you didn't even think you'd ever give? And all that you want to talk about calculations, all the things I could buy or the things I could save or whatever, trash them. All the things that you know that you're like, God wants me to do this, and all the calculations get in the way. And what this woman teaches us with Jesus' commendation of her, he's like, she's done a beautiful thing to me. What he's saying to her and what she's teaching us is that maybe faith, maybe like real, memorable, legacy-leaving worship is from people that don't primarily get their instructions from academic advisors and career goals and bank accounts and parents and teachers and friends and money, but from God. And you say, I'm going to trash the calculations to be obedient to what God's asked me to do. Okay, so even with that, I want to just acknowledge that there's probably everybody in this room that's like, yeah, but then you're going to get, you're going to like walk out the doors and be like, but the calculations are pretty legitimate, you know, like 20 grand, holy crap. So I want to ask, how on earth, how on earth could a, just a room full of college students, how could we live a life like this? And the, the only way that you and I will be remembered for like living radically for God and trashing those calculations is if we treasure the Christ. Look at what Jesus says. So all the people say, why this waste? For this could have been sold for a large sum and given to the poor. But Jesus, aware of this, I don't know if he heard it or he just did like his God thing, you know. He's like, I know what you're talking about. Said to them, why do you trouble this woman? For she has done a beautiful thing to me. For you always have the poor with you, but you will not always have me. Imagine with me the eyes in the room. Where's everyone looking as this perfume runs down Jesus' body? with this woman standing over him. Where are all the eyes in the room? They're on the ointment. 
They're standing there like, that's $70,000 running down. What are you doing? And do you see what Jesus does? He acknowledges that there's actually only one person in the room who has her eyes on the right spot. The woman who looks past the ointment running down this man, right at the man himself. And he says, don't you understand what she's done to me is beautiful. You'll always have the poor. You won't always have me. Look what he's doing. He's, he's correcting their eyesight. He's telling them where to look. He's telling them what to treasure. Look at me. If you know what an altar was in the Old Testament, here's essentially what an altar was. It was a, it was a place designed where people would come and offer sacrifices that were incredibly valuable to them to be representative to God that he was more important those, than those things. So like when crops would come, the first crops, imagine in, a, in a, a society in the Middle East where you thrive on agriculture, you know, what the crops that come in, the first crops, taking them and burning them on the altar. Your best livestock, taking it and killing it, sacrificing it on the altar. And what did that symbolize? It symbolized this is the most important thing to my life. I'm getting rid of it to show God you're more important than that. What happens though? What happens when it's no longer an altar for the God, but the God himself who's sitting in your living room? Salt Company, what we pour out shows a lot about what we praise. This woman poured out $70,000 of perfume like it was a bottle of Aquafina because she was looking at the greatest treasure to ever exist, the God-man Jesus Christ. Romans 12, 1 and 2 tells us to present our bodies as a living sacrifice. That's altar language. To say not even your money or your career or your time or your plans, my own life as a sacrifice on the altar. How could you and I do that? We love our lives. I love me. You love you. How on earth are we going to live a life that sacrifices me on the altar is because the great immeasurable worth of him, the treasure. I'm afraid of how many people in this room will gladly pour out Christ on the altar of popularity. And we'll say, man, Jesus is great. I love him. Lord of lords, king of kings, I jump up and down when I praise at the state. You know, like that song's crazy. But I'll, I'll empty that alabaster flask and let Jesus dry out on the ground if it means that people start to think I'm different. It means the second that I've got to sacrifice my plans, my career, my hopes, my dreams, my advice, my parent, the second I've got to sacrifice my life, he's gone. He might be valuable, but I will gladly empty him if it means that it hits the thing that I want most dearly. And what this woman teaches about a life to be remembered is, and she trashes the calculations because she says, there is nothing. I don't even blink at 70 grand because look at him. Look at him. Oh, praise God. Is it 10 2? That might be literally my phone. That's embarrassing. Good for, yeah, no, not, that was mine too. Look at us. Hey, yeah, come on. <laughs> okay. That's awesome. I don't remember where I was. Doesn't matter. Here we go. A life to be remembered 
trashes the calculations and treasures the Christ. Now I want to give you, I want to give you an illustration here that might be way past all of our times. It's from, uh, it's from some characters. Does anyone even, has anyone even heard of Homer's Odyssey? Probably. Give me some hands. Yeah, okay. Well, it doesn't actually even matter if you have, but we're going to move on. Okay, two, two ship captains. One's name is Ulysses. One's name is Orpheus. You can spell those however you want. It doesn't matter. Ulysses and Orpheus. All right. Do you guys know what a siren was in Homer's Odyssey? A siren was a, it's like a mermaid that sings so beautifully that every sailor that would go past the cove of the mermaids would be drawn in, would be like inexplicably, they can't restrain themselves, they can't contain it, they get drawn into the cove because the sirens have the most beautiful sound that anyone's ever heard. They get drawn in and then the sirens devour them, destroy the ship and kill all the people. That's like what the sirens do. So your ship's going, you're drawn in and you're destroyed by the sirens. Okay, so our first captain, Ulysses, he's standing, looking out on his crew and one of his crew members runs up and he says, Captain, Captain, and Ulysses says what? And he says, the sirens, the cove of the sirens is around the corner. And Ulysses has this idea. He thinks, well, I know exactly how to avoid it, but there's nothing I want more in the world than to hear that sweet sound. What is it that people keep getting drawn into? So his plan is he has all of the crew members stuff their ears with wax so they can't hear anything. And he has them tie him to the mast of the ship. So he can't move, he can't do anything, but he can hear. And he tells them, no matter what I do, no matter how much I yell at you, no matter what I tell you, never untie me because we will all die. And so their ship goes past the sirens and they start to sing. And nobody else can hear it, but Ulysses can hear it. And he's tied to the mast and he just starts screaming, let me out, let me out, I need it. And he's screaming and screaming and nobody does anything because they listen to his instructions. And he goes mad. He's screaming and screaming. I want it. I know it'll kill me, but I want it because it's so beautiful. They get past the sirens. The crew takes out the wax. And Ulysses is never the same again. And they ask him, you know, what happened? And all he wants is like, I just wish I could have had it. You'll never live a life to be remembered if you live your Christian life like that. Saying, I know it'll kill me. I know that sin and the world and all the things that I love, I know they'll kill me, but I just want them. Second captain, Orpheus, he's standing on a ship, looks out on his crew. One of his crew members comes up and says, Orpheus, captain. He says, what? He says, the sirens, the cove of the sirens, it's coming up. And Orpheus says, excellent. And nobody does anything else. The whole crew, they, they're working. They go past the sirens. They hear the song, they keep working, no one's affected, and they get past the sirens, and everyone's normal. And then the whole crew starts to get a little jittery, and they start to whisper, and they're like, it's about that time, it's about that time. And Orpheus goes back into his quarters and pulls out an instrument, and all the people in the crew start screaming and cheering. And they gather around him and he plays the most beautiful noise that anyone had ever heard. And they scream and they laugh and they dance and they praise because it is the most beautiful noise they had ever heard. Can I tell you something? That is the woman 
She saw the most beautiful sight that could ever be seen, more beautiful than all the world and all the money and all the things that'll kill her. She saw the great captain with the greatest song that could ever be sung, and she flocked to him. This is what it means to live a life to be remembered, is to be a people that treasure Christ above everything else. Now, you got to be asking, how? How am I supposed to do that? Like, I would love not to be tied to the mass and want all the things of the world. I would love that. I would love to just be in awe of Jesus to the point where I don't even hear those things and not tempted by them. That'd be great. But how on earth am I supposed to do that? A life to be remembered doesn't just trash the calculations or treasure the Christ, but we have to trust the cross. If you look with me, we're in verse... Well, I'll read what we just read. Why do you trouble this woman? For she's done a beautiful thing to me. For you always have the poor with you, but you will not always have me. And then 12. In pouring this ointment on my body, she has done it to prepare me for burial. In pouring this ointment on my body, she has done it to prepare me for burial. Now Matthew makes a point to not tell us anything about this woman. The other gospel accounts would tell us her name, tell us that it's Mary. But Matthew has no intention to tell us who this woman is. So without knowing anything about her, do you know what I know to be true? She was dying. Like, how could I know that? Because she was just like me and you. She was a sinful person in a corrupted body, in a broken world, who was going to end up in the grave like every one of us. She was in a room with sinful, corrupted, dying people in a broken world that were going to end up in the grave. And do you understand that in that room was the one person in all of human history who had not an ounce of corruption and never deserved to die. His life was not to end in the grave. Here's what's beautiful about this text, why it would be remembered, is he says that the incorruptible, undying man is being prepared for burial by a dying woman. The man who was never supposed to taste death was being prepared to be crushed. I'm going to go even a little, I'm going to keep drilling down in this a little bit of think about what this man deserved. He just had $70,000 of perfume poured all over him. That's what he deserved. Jesus earned that. He earned all the riches and glory of all creation to be just anointed and poured all over him. Like, this is what he deserved. And he smelled it like it's $70,000 of perfume in the room. And every time he whiffed in everything that he deserved, he knew he was being prepared to die. Here's what I would argue that Jesus is doing in Matthew 26, here's the reason why you and I can treasure him. Why is it important that the incorruptible, undying man is being prepared for death? Because Jesus took death and life and flipped them on their head. You and I are not living people. We're dying people. We're on our way to the grave. Jesus, the undying man, was prepared for death so that you and I, dying people, could be prepared for resurrection. How could it be possible that broken, corrupted people could await a living hope 
Because the alabaster flask of Jesus' body was broken open on the cross. And instead of perfume and ointment, his precious, spotless blood washed us clean so that we could be prepared for resurrection. We live, and everyone lives, and you're going to have the temptation for the rest of your life to live this way. We live as though we currently live in the land of the living. And we are fearful, everyone's fearful for that moment when they close their eyes for the last time because then they enter into the land of the dead. But do you know what Jesus did? He flipped them. How could the people on Orpheus' ship praise? How could you and I toss the calculation, just trash the calculations and treasure the Christ? Because we're people that realize that we actually live right now in the land of the dead and we eagerly await that moment when we close our eyes for the last time because then we get to enter into the land of the living. Jesus in his life, death, and resurrection flipped life and death so that you and I can know that we are no longer people that fear death, but we await life. It changes every single way that we live and make decisions. It changes every way you look at your own life. I'd love to invite the band up now, and I want to tell you, because sometimes the calculations, sometimes the calculations are right. We don't disregard the calculations because they're always wrong. Guess what, guys? Jim Elliott died. Quickly, he went to the Alka people, and he was savagely murdered. These people that he risked his life to go and preach the gospel to, he was brutally speared to death. The calculations were right. And the reason why he did it and trashed those calculations is because the glory and treasure of Jesus, the fact that he can provide life to dying people is worth it for me to be obedient, for me to go to these people. And here's the crazy story. His wife that I talked about, Elizabeth Elliot, she and the other wives of all the men who were killed by this people group, they actually decided to go back to the very group that killed their husbands. And they made peace with them and they preached the gospel to them and many came to Christ and that whole tribe learned the gospel because of their faithfulness to continue to go and do you know you want to talk about a life to be remembered Jim Elliott had a quote he had a line where he said he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to get to who gives what he cannot keep to keep what he cannot who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. And you want to talk about a life to be remembered. There probably has not been a Sunday in the last 150 years in, where somebody in the world didn't quote Jim Elliot saying that he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. You want to live a life to be remembered? Trash the calculations, treasure the Christ, trust the cross. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Let's pray. God, you are powerful and gracious and good. You sent your son to change death into life. We look at the actions of this woman, her radical faith to say, 
perfume that could last a year's wages is worth nothing compared to the immeasurable weight of glory of Jesus. And we pray that you would make us a people like this woman. We thank you that your son, Jesus, gave up way more than a year's salary. He gave up his life. He was prepared for death. He was anointed for burial so that we could be anointed for resurrection. He was given over to the grave so that we could be given over to heaven. We thank you for your grace, Lord. Thank you for your kindness. Help us to be a people that live like this woman. We praise you in Jesus' name.